Welcome to Cornerstone College Ministries Podcast. I'm Blake Brown, the college pastor at Stillwater Bible Church. You're joining us for our semester study of Philippians. We are studying Philippians, so hopefully um, turning your Bibles to Philippians. We're doing verses 1, 3 through 11 today. <clears throat> it's in the New Testament. Um, it's sort of in the middle-ish. It's between uh, Ephesians and Colossians. Um, so the Apostle Paul wrote this. Um, how many books in the Testament did the Apostle Paul write? Anybody know? More than one, yes, Ryan. <laughs> right. Over half, I'm guessing. Not all. Sure. So there's about 13 books he wrote in the New Testament. Um, I can't, I can't talk and find a Bible passage at the same time, so I'm going to do this <laughs> separately. Um, so 13 books. Now, who wrote the most of the New Testament? Luke. Luke. Right? And who said that? But. Um, um, Luke actually wrote the most. If you take Acts and you take Luke right, together, they're like long chapters and they're long books. So actually, that is the most of the New Testament was written by Luke, um, even though Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. So, yeah, it's trivia for you now. If anyone ever asks that, you can be like Josiah and be like, Luke, I know. <laughs> so, that's good. Um, the question is, uh, where is Philippi? Right. So Philippi is this region or this city right here. Um, right, this is Italy here and all that stuff. And Corinth is down here at right, Corinthians. You know, Ephesians, right? Ephesus, the church there. Thessalonica, the Thessalonians that he wrote to there and stuff. And so it was in the region of Macedonia, um, which is, as you can see, this kind of whole area here. And he was writing to these believers in Philippi. Philippi was actually a wealthy town, and it was considered, it was called the leading city in Macedonia. It says they call it that in Acts. And it's due to its prominence, right? It was a very prominent city. And those kind of had their own autonomous government because there were lots of battles that were fought around Philippi, and they, the Romans won, and so they kind of like liked Philippi. They'd go there as like a retirement city, kind of. And so had a lot of money and stuff, uh, and they were able to have kind of their own government and go on with that. So reasons for writing this, this letter, the reason that Paul wrote this letter. Basically, um, he writes extensively to encourage these Philippians to keep going in, in their work of, of ministry, in their participation of the gospel. He encourages them to have humility and have one purpose in their mind as they serve. Okay. All that being said, I'm going to read our passage um, this morning. We're going to go over, I'll pray, and then we'll get started. So look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation of the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart. Since both my imprisonment and in defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of the righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. 
God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for the fact that we're able to be here and to study your word. I thank you um, that Paul knew the Philippians and that he was writing a letter to them and that we can read this letter and it's part of your word. And I pray that we would take what you have written through Paul and that we would apply it to our lives. And as I'm up here talking, it wouldn't be me just saying all these words, but you'd be speaking through me, God. And I pray all of this in your son's name. Amen. Has anyone here ever written a thank you letter? Quite a few of us, right? Or at least a thank you note for something, uh, especially if you ever, like, I mean, all of us in here probably graduated uh, high school and stuff, and you had people give you stuff, and then your parents were like, write them thank you letters, right? <laughs> so, especially if you get married, right? When my wife and I got married, we had people give us gifts, and some people, like, if you don't write them a thank you letter, then that's it, right? They're never going to talk to you again. They gave you a gift, and how dare you not, right? And so it's like, they're a big deal sometimes. I remember there was this guy in my elementary school that had these big birthday parties every year. And um, they, had, they had a pool, and we all swim every year and go. Um, and then like a week or so later, I'd get mail, you know, as like an eight-year-old. And it was like, yeah, I got mail. Um, <laughs> and then it was a thank you letter from him. It was a photocopy, right? Like, it wasn't him writing every single letter all the way out. There was just an opening for the name and for the gift. And so it was like, dear blank, thank you so much for my birthday party. Thank you for the blank, right? And he was just like handwrite in whatever it was there and stuff. And the rest of the page was full of stuff and I don't remember anymore. And he signed it at the bottom of each one, right? The point is he was seven, right? Like he's not going to have this eloquently done and write every single person a handwritten thank you. Like his parents probably pulling teeth just to get him to write a name and the gift there. Um, but have any of you gotten a thank you letter now that you're older? Right? One that had like maybe some well thought out things and had some meaning behind it? It's nice, right? It's personal. Um, so Paul is writing to these Philippians, and he knows them. He, he's been with them before. He used a lot of endearing and affectionate terms with them, and he encouraged them, encourages them. And we're going to see some of that this morning. So look at uh, Philippians 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul thanks God in view of their participation in the gospel. That's the reason why he's thanking them, first off. He starts off with that, right? And the word thank there in the Greek is Eucharisto. Eucharisto. Um, the Lord's Supper actually is oftentimes called the Eucharist, and it means I give thanks, right? So he's literally saying I give thanks, and people, um, especially the Catholic Church, will call it the Eucharist, right, of giving thanks when they take the Lord's Supper or take communion. Uh, so it means I give thanks uh, to God and all my remembrance of you. He offers prayer with joy in prayer. Right? That's, a, that's a joy sandwich, right? Prayer, joy, prayer, right? Right there. I don't know about you, but I want my prayers to be a joy sandwich because that'd be great. If you're always joyful when you're praying, a lot of times, I don't know about y'all, but I can be praying, and it seems like all of my prayers are all just like, help me with this, help this person, this person's sick, all these things. And there's not much joy within there, right? But he's offering joy within this prayer. He's a, pr- he's a joy sandwich in his prayer. And so he, he's joyous for, for a reason, though. Right? He's joyous in their view of their participation in the gospel from the first day all the way until now. So look, you might have something different in your Bibles. If you don't, I'm reading out of the NASB, um, which is NASB 95 version. Uh, you might have a different version you're reading out of, but it might have something different than participation in the gospel. Anyone have anyone different? Different than participation? Partnership. Partnership, yeah. Partnership in the gospel. Um, so he's not talking about the fact that 
they're saved, right? Like you participated in the gospel, you're saved. Cool. Right? He's talking about how you're partners with me in the gospel, in ministry, and your participation in sharing the gospel. Does that make sense? Do you see that? So he's talking about how I'm joyous because you are actually participating in ministry here. Um, so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, Paul comes and he's praying and thanking God with joy and remembrance of these Philippians. And do we pray in remembrance of others ever? So the, the truth is, we see in chapter 4 that these Philippians helped Paul at the beginning of his ministry. And in fact, they were the only ones helping him for a bit. And if you remember, they were also on Philippi. It was on the main road east from Rome. And Rome, if you don't know this, if you didn't pay attention to history, was a big city. Right? They did a lot of stuff that, that was important in Rome. Um, and so the, the, the main road east came straight through, or east for you came straight through Philippi. And they were kind of a wealthy town partly because of that. And they helped Paul. They helped Paul in his beginning of his ministry. Do we have anyone in our lives that have helped us? Helped us in our normal lives? Helped us in our ministry even? Do we go to God in prayer and joy for them? Or we're like, okay, cool, you help me, I can do this now, and you just go. Or are we thanking God for them, that the fact that they're participating and they're helping you? So when it comes to other believers who are faithful, what about that? Can we get envious of other people's growth sometimes? Like, they're participating in the gospel, they're doing such a good job. I wish they'd stop, right? (laughs) Making me look bad. Making me look bad, right? I'm not that good. I wish I was that faithful, right? Or are we joyous in the fact that they're growing? The fact that they're actually going forth and they're, they're doing ministry and they're partners in, in the gospel. We should be encouraged. And we're all part of the same body of Christ. Right? We all have one mission. It's to have the gospel proclaimed and train up believers. And if people are doing that, we need to make sure that we're joyous about that. And we're going to God thanking Him for how, how faithful these people are. And it can be hard. I know it is. I don't do a very good job of it either. But Paul is thanking God every time he thinks of the Philippians because of the work that they do in ministry. Let's make sure that we're glad when others are taking part in ministry as well. Okay, so he's joyous, he's offering prayer with joy and prayer for all of them uh, and view their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. And then we see in verse 6, right? He says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a pivotal verse, I think, that explains a verse farther along in Philippians that we'll get to later um, that people get confused about a little bit. But we'll get there eventually, I promise. So he, he starts with this. Um, he's confident that he who began a good work in you he, is it he capitalized in their Bible? Probably. One, two, three, cool. Awesome. Three of y'all. Um, so he began a good work. It's God. It's talking about, right? He who began a good work in you. God is the one that does the work in them. And Paul is pointing that out, that it isn't them. It's not them doing all of this great ministry. God is the one doing the work through them and in them. God is the one that does the work, and it's the same in our lives as believers. In fact, we see in Galatians 5, 5.16, it says, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say, try really hard, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. It doesn't say, you know, just, just be around believers, and you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. It says, walk in the Spirit. 
right? That's a relationship with God. In John 15, 5, Jesus is talking. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So in our Christian walk, if we're not abiding in Christ, then we're not going to be having that fruit. Right? We're not going to be bearing the fruit that he's talking about here. So now I have a question, right? When we place our faith in Christ, what do we get? Eternal life. Yeah. Eternal life, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have eternal life. We, we, we saw that earlier in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and John 3, 16, and so many other verses. Um, but we also live the Christian life by faith. It doesn't mean that we can lose our salvation. Um, we know that we place our faith in Christ. We have eternal life, like y'all said. And if we lose it, then it wasn't eternal to begin with. Right? It, was, it was just life for a little bit, and then it was gone. And so whenever it says eternal life, well, it wasn't eternal. Right? And Ephesians 1, 13-14 says that when we, when we believed in the gospel, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is a down payment for our future inheritance. You know that John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one is able to snatch them out of my hands. And then Jesus says, my father who's greater than all um, has given them to me and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hands. So we know that we are secure in Christ. When we have eternal life, it is eternal or else it wouldn't be eternal at that point. So... We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise as a down payment for that future inheritance. But after salvation, we're called to live a life that is a certain, lives a certain way. Right? We are called um, to live a Christian life that is set apart. We talked last week about how he, he's writing to these saints at Philippi. Anyone remember what the word saints means? Set apart ones, right? Set apart or holy ones. So they're set apart in Christ and we're called to live that life. We're called as believers to that certain lifestyle and to be involved in ministry in some form. So who is called to ministry? Everyone, right? Believers are called to ministry. So if hold your place in, in uh, Philippians and turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, um, look at 18, verse 18. <laughs> it says this. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we have this, am, this ambassadorship that we're given as believers. Right? We're ambassadors for Christ. We are Christ's body, right? The body of Christ. We're also called the bride of Christ. It's all throughout Scripture. And we have a purpose here on earth. We know from the Great Commission, right? It says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all I've commanded of you. And so we have this purpose here on earth. It's to glorify God. As an unbeliever, what's that start with? Salvation, right? Glorify God, salvation, believe in him for eternal life. As a believer, it starts with taking that, those gifts, the talents and abilities God has given you, the spiritual gifts, and serving him, right? Serving him and being an ambassador for Christ for him. But note, it's through his strength. What about John 15, 5, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing, Christ says. 
through his strength. He's the one who supplies our gifts in the first place. And so he's the one who helps us when we use our gifts. Does that make sense? So Paul is confident that Christ, who began the work, will finish it or accomplish it, he says. And in our Christian life, we know that it's not us. It's not by my own power. It's not like, I'm just going to have more love. Gosh darn it. Right? Like, no, that doesn't work. I'm going to be more patient. How it's going to be. It doesn't work right? by our own willpower. But if we're abiding in Christ, if we're walking in the Spirit, we have the power to do that. And look, so Paul continues and he, he explains why he feels this way, why it's right for him to feel this way and be confident in them. So look at verse 7. For it's only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart. Since both my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all, part, you all are partakers of grace with me. These Philippians have been with Paul through all of this. Right? Supporting him. In his time in jail, they actually sent a guy named Epaphroditus that we'll see later in the book, in the, in the letter. Um, they sent Epaphroditus to him to encourage him, to help him. And he said it's only right for Paul to be confident that God will accomplish what he began in the Philippians because the Philippians have already been partners in grace and participating in ministry this whole time. So Paul and the Philippians have been defending and confirming the truth of the gospel to others. They're partners in grace. So the reason he's confident that, that they're going to keep going, he's going to basically um, accomplish what, he, what Christ started in them, is because they've been faithful this whole time. They've been faithful to, to live for Christ and to partner in ministry. As believers in the body of Christ, we need to be partners in grace with others. Because at this time, Paul is, is not, with, not in Philippi, or he wouldn't be writing a letter. Right? We can gather that. But the Philippians and Paul have been partners in grace nonetheless. Right? So no matter how far or close other believers are, we need to work together to share the gospel and train believers. That's why we support uh, missionaries right across the ocean and across continents and across the city even. right? Um, and we support them and we pray for them. Uh, we, in our prayer meeting this morning, we actually prayed for the believers in Afghanistan right now because there's a lot going on there. And we're praying just for their courage and for their, for their peace that comes from God. That, that doesn't make any sense, right? Surpasses all comprehension. <clears throat> but the point is they're believers, and we're partners in ministry with them as a body of Christ. So Paul's confident. He says, I'm confident, and I should be confident because you guys have been faithful this whole time that you're going to continue being faithful, and you can continue to abide in Christ and do the work of ministry. Do we see that? Do we see how he kind of, why he's confident in them? Any questions so far? Is it talking about that he's been, they've been directly partaking with him during this time, or is it just saying that they've been partaking of the same type of ministry and faithfulness. Yeah, so I believe that what he's talking about in here particularly is um, with him. Right? He says that, uh, Have you in my heart since both my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Right? I think he's talking about in particular with them. He's been, they've been faithful to help him, to serve him. Um, and he's seen their faithfulness. And so he might even be saying, he could be saying imprisonment is with him and then defense and confirmation of the gospel is just in general. Right? Because his imprisonment, they've helped him through that. 
And then in his defense um, and, and confirming like, the truth of the gospel, they've been doing the same thing. Does that make sense? Um, Paul feels confident, but what else does he feel? Joy. Right? He feels joy. In fact, joy occurs in various forms 16 times in this letter. Uh, so that's a lot. And his joy is because they're participating in the ministry. So Paul moves on to have a very strong statement in this next verse. Look at verse 8. He says, For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says, No one knows but God how strongly Paul cares for these Philippians. So what higher call could he make to say that I actually do care than calling on God to witness the fact that, yes, I do care for you. And in our day and age, right, we don't have, people don't like, uh, people don't oftentimes have, they, they swear by something to, to, to say how, how rash it is. They might say like, oh, my mama, I, I swear I do this, right? But like there's not really this like seriousness of like, uh, by this, I'm, I'm telling you, this is true. But back in this time, this was a, this was a serious thing. A solemn swear was the end to most debates about if you're telling the truth or not. And the fact that Paul is calling on God as his witness for how long, much he longs for the, the um, Philippians, it's a big deal. And so it's a lot stronger than we may think it is when we first read it. So for Paul to swear and say this um, with God as his witness is dispelling any doubts people have about how much he cares for him, uh, for them, the Philippians, right? He's dispelling any doubts people may have. And it also shows how much unity is there between believers. Between Paul and the Philippians, we see a unity that is deep and goes really deep, right? Salvation and ministry are deeply unifying things. I don't know if y'all have ever been on mission trips or done ministry with people, evangelizing or anything like that. But there's a unity that we feel between believers whenever we're, we're doing ministry together with people. So the rest of what we're going to look at this morning is Paul's prayer for the Philippians. So he's talked about how uh, I'm confident that you're going to continue going. Christ will continue working through you and accomplish his purpose in you. And the reason why is because you've been faithful this whole time. And I long for you all. And he goes and continues and has a prayer for them. So that for verses 9 through 11, he has this prayer for the Philippians. Let's look at it. So it says, uh, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. We're going to step through this um, so that we can see exactly what Paul is praying for, because it's kind of confusing. Uh, this will maybe help with some Bible study methods, too. So he says this. He's praying, praying that love may abound more and more. Right? This is his first initial thing he says. Still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Right? So his prayer is love may abound. In, so more specific, knowledge and discernment. Uh, this isn't love that overlooks the truth, right? So you're, you're loving in knowledge. doesn't overlook the truth. and doesn't come into a situation blindly either. So it has discernment. It judges what to say and when to say it, or what to do and when to do it. Right? So he wants their, their love to abound in truth and knowledge, as well as discernment. This is the love that we're called to have when we're dealing with others. Believers are not. Make sure it holds to the truth, but it's sensitive to what the situation needs. Does that make sense? This is the type of love that Paul wants Philippians to have. So, we have prayer that love will abound in knowledge and discernment. And then he has a purpose statement. So that, so that you may approve of the things that are excellent. 
Approve can also be translated to discover or to distinguish between things that differ. Okay? So you may approve things that are excellent. We want to find the excellent, not just the good. Uh, so we find the excellent, not just the good here. So you may approve, you may, you may diff, uh, discover things that are, that are different. Make, find the excellent there. So I pray that you would abound in this kind of love so that you can discover these excellent things. Well, why? Why do we discover these excellent things? He tells us. So, look, it says, In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So when we have to give an account at the judgment seat of Christ, we want our lives to be blameless and to be sincere. All of us have to give an account as believers. And not so that we can get to heaven, not the point, um, but so that we can see if our lives, if we were faithful or not in our lives, and, we, and for rewards in the kingdom, actually. So 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. It says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, whether good or worthless. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about how basically all the things we've done in our lives are put on this, this judgment stand. Right? This, this stone that is Jesus Christ. And then um, everything is burned like fire. And we have some things up there that are like precious stones, gold, silver, um, jewels. Some things that are wood and the hay and the straw. And then when it's judged by fire, the things that are left are what? The jewels. The gold. Jewels, gold, silver, right? So you, what happens if you burn gold? It melts, but it stays. Right, it's, still, it's still gold. In fact, it might be even more pure gold at that point. What happens if you burn hay? It burns, right? <laughs> like, I, right? And so, basically, and it talks about how the, the jewels are what remains, and that, those are our rewards going into the kingdom, right? so going into eternal, eternal state, eternal life. And so, us as believers, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, whether good or worthless. So when we live our lives as believers, if we just live it for ourselves and don't live for Christ, don't live faithfully, well, we know that when we're saved, we're saved forever. Right? Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. Um, we know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. But if we're not faithful, then we won't be rewarded. And there are rewards. And so we want to make sure he, he's, he's praying that they would actually live these lives um, and and discover the excellent things in order to be sincere and blameless to that day of Christ. To the seat of Christ. Does that make sense? Do you see that? Okay. So it says this too. It has one more qualifying thing. He says, um, So I pray that love would abound in the knowledge and discernment so that they can discern things that are excellent, so that in order to be blameless and sincere, having, right, so we're going back a little bit, Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. So where does this come from? Where does the fruit of righteousness come from? It's a church answer. Y'all got it. Come on. Jesus. Jesus. Right, cool. Awesome. So um, Jesus, right? The fruit of righteousness is from abiding in Christ or walking in the Spirit. Uh, and Galatians 5 talks about how, remember, um, Walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And if you walk in the Spirit, it lists the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and all those. Um, but all those things are things that we get if we walk in the Spirit. Not if we just try harder. But if we're walking in the Spirit, those things are what we're called, what we are bearing as fruit. And the fruit of righteousness. 
So God is working through us, right? So having been abiding, have this fruit of righteousness, then we have all these things that you just talked about. We have this love and um, knowledge and discernment and discerning the things that are excellent so that by the day of God, having built filled with the fruit of righteousness. If we abide in him, that's when we can accomplish things. This fruit comes from Christ, not from us. In fact, we're called to bear the fruit. We're never called to produce the fruit. We're called to bear. What does it mean to bear something? Carry it, right, yeah. Just have it um, and carry it. So the Christian walk is all about abiding in Christ. Once we're abiding, right, we have the power to love people as we should and to serve as we're called to. So let's see the praises that Paul gives the Philippians and his prayer for them and analyze our lives with it. Do we, do we thank God for other believers when they're growing, when they're participating in the gospel? Do we abide in Christ in our walk? Are we growing in love and truth and discernment so that we may live excellently to be found blameless in Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness? Let's, let this be an encouragement to live for Christ. It's not you, it's not me doing it. It's Christ doing it through us. Okay. I have a couple of discussion questions. We have about 10 minutes. Um, they're on the back table there, um, so you can grab those. But I'm going to uh, read over them first, and then we'll pray, and we'll kind of break into groups. So um, the questions are, how do you personally maintain an abiding relationship with Christ? Like your quiet time routine, your location, whatever it may be. Um, and then share that with the group. And then in what ways do you, does your love need to abound more in knowledge? Or love need to abound more in discernment? So, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for this passage. Um, for the love and encouragement that Paul shows towards these believers. I pray uh, that they would just... Um, us as, as believers, that we would just see this letter that he has um, and that we would use it as an encouragement and, or maybe a conviction to, to live for you, God. And I pray that we would set our eyes on you where our life is hid at and that we would be able to live this Christian walk with this peace that passes all understanding because we're abiding in you and we're, we're, we're loving you and, and loving others, God. And I pray for everyone in this room um, that if they don't know you as their Savior, that they would place their faith in you knowing that they um, you give them eternal life, and also that uh, we would all know that we have eternal life and we have it eternally, God. Uh, and so I pray that through that, through that joy of not having to, to try to work to make sure that we maintain our salvation, not serving out of fear, God, we would serve out of love and joy at the fact that we know that we're going to heaven and we know that we're secure in you, God. And so I pray this time of discussion that would be a fruitful time where we're able to talk to each other as believers and, and edify each other as well. Put all this in your son's name. Amen.